The peace of our Lord be with you. Stephen drew the short straw last time. So, I guess it was my turn. But I'm so glad. Um, It's only fitting that I would cry, (laughs) because that's kind of what I do. But um, as many of you know, um, uh, December 18th will be my last Sunday in my pastoral role here at Northminster, because I will be leaving my role here to go and be the new executive director at Stewpot Community Services. Um, which is a a great gift. It's been a great gift to both be here with you for these 12 years and a great gift to take what I have learned from being with you uh, to another part of our city uh, that I also dearly love. Um, So as far as I know, this is the last sermon that I will preach as one of your pastors, although you do have a history of pastors coming back to you. Uh, So, at least I know that opportunity is out there in case I need it. But really, from the depths of my heart, I just want to say thank you, and I love you. I do. Hands down. The first Sunday of Advent is one of my favorite Sundays of the liturgical year. This is no doubt partially because of the sights and sounds of Advent here at Northminster. The refreshing shift to purple pyramids after a long, slow march through ordinary time. The introduction of the Advent wreaths light as the days continue to shorten. The call to worship that the choir offers from the aisles that fills the sanctuary with harmonies that I know reverberate for me long after the last note has been sung. All of these practices form a sacred rhythm for me, a rhythm that over the past 12 years has helped me to center my attentions and devotions on God and God's gifts in the middle of this demanding and fractured season. But I also love the first Sunday of Advent for another reason. On the first Sunday of Advent every year, the lectionary focuses our attentions not on the coming of Jesus in Bethlehem, as you know, you've been around the lectionary block enough times to know this, but instead, we focus on the second coming of Jesus at the end of time. The first Sunday of Advent always begins with the end. Jesus' second coming was a live topic in our home and in our church when I was growing up, mostly focusing on the last judgment and ultimate destiny. During my teenage years, our youth group watched some very impactful films about being left behind. And unfortunately, I spent a lot 
of my young adult life, struggling through the fears that I inherited and internalized during that time. In fact, coming to terms with apocalyptic texts like Revelation and passages like about the second coming, like today's gospel passage, may be one of the most significant spiritual journeys that I have taken in my life. For it has allowed me to truly understand the truth that we find in 1 John 4, 18, that there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear, the scripture goes on to say. Fear has to do with punishment. Indeed, the moment I stopped being afraid of God was the moment I truly began to love God. And... Conversely, understand God as love. Now I'm drawn to texts about the end times for different reasons. Namely, because even at age 44, I've lived enough life and seen enough pain and injustice in our world to resonate with what is at the heart of all of these texts, which is the deep, deep, human hope, some might say conviction, that ultimately God is in control of history. For example, apocalyptic texts use vivid imagery to describe the decisive action of God in time, a complete rupture of history that enables God to finally and forever defeat evil and establish justice for God's people. And who among us does not, every now and then, wish for God to set things right once and for all? Some of my most painful conversations with God have been about what I perceive with my limited perspective, I admit, as God's unwillingness or inability to act on behalf of innocent people. But apocalyptic imagines a future where God intervenes, and sometimes that is exactly what I long for God to do. There are other texts about the end times, of course, like this morning's Isaiah passage, which reads, In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be erased above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. The Lord shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Here we read a sweeping vision of an entire human race that is reconciled and at peace, that is turning its weapons into farm implements, into tools to help support and sustain human life rather than to threaten and destroy it. In that day, the the word of the Lord will make an actual difference, not because nations have learned to submit to one another or deference or obedience to the Lord or to one another, but because the Lord will finally address inequities 
and settle disputes with perfect justice. And the result will be the end of violence. I don't know about you, but I agree with the Reverend Stacy Simpson Duke when she writes, this vision of unity, of justice, of shared openness to the divine way of peace speaks to some of my deepest hopes. And with the prophet Isaiah, I long for that day's coming, especially as the world seems to careen evermore toward fear and extremism. Of course, because so much suffering continues uninterrupted in our world, my longing for God's future often turns into a lament. Like the pastoral prayer that I wrote and prayed last week, when we read these words from Jeremiah, Thus says the Lord concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people, It is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away, so I will attend to you for your evil doings. I will raise up shepherds over my people who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing. In my prayer I said, Lord, we look to the day when none of your children need to fear or dismay, when justice and righteousness will be established on earth. We understand Jesus coming and Jesus living heralded that day, but that was a long time ago now, and so many of us are hurting. And then I had written these words, but I did not pray them. What then shall we do, God? To what hope can we now cling? I did not ask these questions out loud because they felt to me a little too despairing for a pastoral prayer, even though they arose from a very honest place inside of me. For me, they were akin to Habakkuk's cry, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? So often, my longing turns into a lament, a cry to God. But that cry is as true to the scriptures and human experience as the longing for God's future is. Last week in my prayer, I turned to the words of Marge Piercy for help. In her poem, The Seven of Pentacles, she writes this. The plants flourish, but at their own internal clock. Connections are made slowly. Sometimes they happen underground. You cannot tell always by looking, looking what is happening. More than half the tree is spread out in the soil under your feet. These are good words to remember when we are thinking about the work of God both in the world and within us. So much happens that we cannot see or even perceive. And in my experience, and I am sure in yours also, some things only make sense in retrospect as we gain the perspective to see and connect all the dots. That was true of my decision to transfer to transition from my pastoral role here to my new role uh, at Stewpot, the connections were made slowly. Some happened entirely underground, only to be revealed in due season.
The poem goes on. Weave real connections. Create real nodes. Build real houses. Live as if you liked yourself, and it may happen. Reach out. Keep reaching out. Keep bringing in. This is how we are going to live for a long time. To me, these exhortations in this poem sound pretty similar to Isaiah's invitation at the end of today's lesson. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord, he writes. For Isaiah, God's future casts its gleam into the presence, into the right now. And the people move toward God's future by making choices in light of that future. What kind of choices can move us towards God's future? Not to manufacture it as if God needed our help, but in anticipation of its fulfillment in God's good timing. How can we listen for God's instruction? During this frenetic season, can we make space for space and time for silence and stillness so that we can hear God? Coming to worship is a good start. What kinds of inequalities and inequities can we address that embody the perfect justice that God will bring about in God's good time? During the season of excess, can we keep in mind the impact of our desire for more on the rest of the world and on our earth? Can we live with less so that those who have little do not have too little? In what ways can we begin now to beat our swords into plowshares? During this stressful season, can we lay down the weapons of war, even just in our personal relationships, and cultivate practices of peacemaking? As you know, as we follow the light we've been given, way will lead on to way. And maybe, just maybe, one day we will look up and we ourselves will be living into God's future, regardless of whether the world is or not. Or as Marge Piercy concludes her poem, Reach out. Keep reaching out. Keep bringing in. This is how we are going to live for a long time. Not always. For every gardener knows that after the digging, after the planting, after the long season of tending and growth, the harvest comes. The longing that becomes a lament becomes a hope-filled way of living. I like that sentence. It's helpful for me. But because I've distilled all of that into a sentence, please do not hear me saying that any effort 
to live into God's future, even personally. Any effort will be easy because it won't. It never is. It's helpful to have a community like this where there are other people who are also living into God's future and longing and hope. It won't be easy, but we can do hard things. We can do hard things. That will be true to God's future. And that's a pretty good place to start. Or start again here on this first Sunday of the first season of our church year. Amen.